All right, folks. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, in this episode, I chat with musician Roy Kahn about religion, the early years of Camelot, songwriting, singing in the shower, new material from Conception, and more. As always, thank you for listening, and if you'd like to help the show grow, please leave us a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. Just to get things started here so we have a platform to jump from, take us back in time. You're a youngster. Are you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above? (laughs) I guess all of those, you know, in different periods of my life. I mean, I I had a short period where I was really uh, opposing to to teachers and parents and and all that. But, you know, I think I was a pretty good kid, read a lot, and uh, I had my uh, peers of, you know, opposing authorities and everything that that, stood in my way. (laughs) (laughs) So did you have a a type of genre of books that you lean towards, or maybe a writer, favorite stories maybe? There's this Norwegian writer that that's uh, his, his name is Knut Holmsen, uh, which I read quite early. That I got into quite early. I've had, had so many so many uh, authors that I've read that I can't really. There's not really one that I would choose over the other. That's one of them. Would you say you were a fantasy guy or a horror guy, or did you lean more towards one or the other? I, I read that too, but uh, no, more like I don't know what you would call that genre. Really. It's more like Knut Thomasson is is a he's one of Norway's most famous writers, and he wrote about people growing up in little villages along the coast. And uh, I mean, not really the type of literature that you'd expect a fifteen-year-old to read. But um, for right. some reason, I really fell in love with with those those images he, he he created in his writing. But I mean, I've had periods where I read you know crime novels only. These days, I read a lot of not really novels, but like fact books I'm, I'm reading super freakonomics right now which is uh, like the new york times bestseller thing on, on weird ways of looking at economics and statistics i mean these things go, go in waves rory what about your parents were either them musically inclined at all not really well <laughs> 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 you know uh, my, my, my father used to pick up the guitar and, and play He's from Thailand, right? And he'd play these Thai songs, but he had, he could he can't sing to save, save his life. <laughs> and and, uh, and my mom had a period where she tried to learn a violin, also quite traumatic. Uh, so not really, no. But my grandpa was was really into music. Music was was his life. So I guess that's that's the only place I see that coming from. And was he a, was he a singer? Did he play an instrument? No, no, he played the accordion. Mm. Like he, he liked to. Uh, just sit and play his old accordion songs, and he also he also wrote some music himself. 
Gotcha. Did, now, did you ever play an instrument, or were you always just focused on the voice? Oh, I started off playing the clarinet in the school court. When I was 11, 12, I started playing the piano. At the age of 35, I picked the guitar up. I guess if, if, if you have, if you have, you know, I mean, uh, whatever instrument you want to uh, look into, you know, having, having a certain musical understanding is helpful. So I guess if you really go at it, you know, you could learn probably not any instrument, like the violin, for example, is ex extraordinarily difficult to learn. Having that interest and having that in my blood is, is helpful, you know, I try to learn new, new instruments. So uh, what records were spinning around your house when you were growing up? What sort of music did your parents play? Pink Floyd, Bee Gees, Abba, Elvis Presley. That was, that was probably my first, you know, big idols somehow, you know. Yeah, the first song I ever rem remember hearing was, was uh, uh, Yesterday, The Beatles. Roy, this is something I like to ask everyone just because you, you never know. Uh, what scared you as a kid? Mm, I don't know. Um, quite a bit. It's not really something that that jumps out as as a big, big thing. I mean, my my mom and dad they were you know at the brink of divorce, like you know when I got older. So so that was something that that I remember as being not so pleasant. So so well, and they eventually got divorced. Yeah, no, I don't know. It's it's I I had a pr pretty fearless childhood, I'd say. That's a good look. <laughs> Yeah, I had a good good childhood. So at what age do you realize that you have a, a great singing voice? Did someone else mention it to you? Did your parents notice? Yeah, no, no. Well, I started singing. I mean, when I I, I totally fell in love with uh, Aha when they came out in, in, in the mid-80s. And uh, I started singing, uh, you know, these songs. And he, Morton Harkett, has this, this high, shiny voice. And I discovered that I could do that same type of falsetto. And I could do Take On Me, which was like goes from way down there and all the way up to the to that high note. Somehow I could do that, you know. I guess the fascination for, for singing was discovered at that point. It wasn't until, you know, from then on I, I sang in the shower, sang <laughs> in the shower, you know, even at school. And it was actually at school one time uh, after like a round of football or something. I sang alone, you know, the heart song. Yeah. I sang that song in the shower, and uh, this guy came up to me and said, "Hey, you, I mean, you gotta." And then the, 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 in the showers, where we, you know, in a wardrobe, we had these tall ceilings and concrete walls, so it was the, the the reverb was really nice. <laughs> so I just loved, I just loved standing there singing. And uh, this guy heard me, and uh, his brother, I think, or somebody he knew, anyways, had had a punk band. And they were looking for a singer. So I, my, my first audition uh, was, was for a punk band. And I, but that was it. You know, I, I, I was there for, you know, testing out. And it was a cool band, but, you know, punk wasn't really my genre. I started listening to metal by then. And, yeah, that just wasn't my thing. But that's how it started. And via him again, uh, or via that band, I got into this Top 40 band. Uh, we, you know, played around the, the area where I lived for a couple of years That's the, and, and after that you know uh, I went to this musical school where a friend of the guys in Conception also went and he tipped them about me after that year was over and that's how I got into uh, Conception I auditioned for them and do you recall you know, like your very first time on stage as a vocalist very first time did it go off a lot of hiccup <laughs> the very first no I don't the very first time no I don't that must have been with that top 40 band if you could call that a stage, I mean, playing in front of drunk people, dancing and yelling and drinking, but 
Yeah. It was a cool, it was a really, really good learning experience because it was kind of low key and uh, no, I liked it. Interacting, moving on stage and interacting with people. And I, I definitely discovered that I liked it. Hey, obviously you're good at it. <laughs> so, so when you think back to formative films and TV shows that you grew up on, what comes to your mind initially? TV shows? There was, there was this, um, what was it called? Century? Century? Is it, uh, there was this guy, Zebulon. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what it was called in, in English, but I think it was Century. Was this Western series? I'm not familiar with, uh, with it. I, I, I think it was huge all over the all over the world, and, and, it, and it was American. It must have been big in the U.S. too. Zeb McKayen? Is that is that is that ringing a bell? I'm gonna do a Google real quick. Well, when I search it, how the West was won comes up. Yeah, that must be it. That mu- yeah, that must be it. Yeah, so, I mean that, and uh, like like where I live, we had one channel, right? That's all we had, one TV channel. So so we gathered, you know, every Saturday evening we we sat down in front of the TV and and we watched whatever was on, you know. Yeah, we had pizza or fondue or you know had some some good to eat. So so those Saturdays were good memories. Movies and and no no I yeah I mean that was one of them. But it's a Western guy, huh? You like westerns in general? Yeah, good ones. <laughs> <laughs> I like with any other genre. Yeah, I like good movies in general. I mean I, I'm I'm really I go. For music and books and movies, I, I you know I digest whatever you know. I could read a good review of a book and I'll try it out. Might not like it, of course, and then I'll just lay it off. But um, I'm pretty much yeah. It's my, my I guess my taste in, in art is quite varied. So I know you studied opera for years. How did that develop your voice, and did it help you sort of understand the machinations behind it? I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I, after that school that I told you about, I did two and a half years, maybe, together with a really, really famous like opera diva here in Norway. She was, she was retired, but she was uh, taking a few students. Now this was before I, before I joined Conception. So so uh, I did that for like a year and a half, and then I I joined Conception. But after another half year, year, she told me that you know you got to got to make a choice here because uh, I can hear that you're, you know, doing other stuff at the same time here. And then I told her that I was, that I joined a rock band and uh, she didn't really want to waste her time on somebody that wasn't like aiming specifically at opera scenes. So, so I made that choice and, and went for metal. Have you spoken with her since? No, 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 I haven't. I mean, she died a few years ago. Oh, sorry to hear that. And, but but uh, as to, you know, to answer your question fully, uh, the, the, I, I, I definitely learned, you know, some, some basic techniques and, uh, you know, warm, warm up techniques and, and, you know, so, so, some basic um, principles as to, you know, what really ma- matters when you're, when you sing. Also about expression and, 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 the fact that the words you're saying they they mean something you know otherwise you could just you know do la 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 both the teacher at that school that i mentioned and and this um uh, retired opera diva they, they they both were very focused on the connection between music and and lyrics which i like you know because i the, the written word had, had always been something that i had a relation to so kind of made sense to me as someone who's been around for a long time at this point what would you say is a What's a common mistake you see a young vocalist coming into the scene make? I don't really know. It's, it's, I mean, it's hard to, first of all, it's really hard to tell whether somebody is doing a mistake because, I mean, 
voice is very very personal so I can hear somebody like growl or, or scream at the top of their lungs where, where, where they crack up nicely and I'll think you know god that guy must be bleeding after that but, <laughs> but you know, some people that comes really natural so so you know it's really hard to tell so Camelot you joined Camelot in 97 how did that come about yeah yeah um well I think 97 if I'm wrong that, yeah, yeah 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 97 well th- that was a little bit after conception had you know been put on ice and uh Thomas read about that or he heard about it I mean we were on the same label uh, so he managed to get my dad's phone number. There's not really that many people with that last name in Norway. So uh, he managed to get my dad's uh, phone number, uh, and uh, he gave him he gave my phone number to Thomas, and he called me in the car. That was that was the first uh, that was on my first cell phone. Like in the beginning, like yeah, '97. And that's when I got my first cell phone. So I remember picking it up in the middle of the uh, I, I parked the car. Pick the phone up between Oslo and Elbrun, where I live at the time, and say, Yes, Thomas Youngblood from I thought he said Tampax, Florida. <laughs> and he said that, Yeah, we got this uh, record going, and our singer he doesn't really want to go abroad, and, and we want to uh, try to make it internationally. So, you know, are you, are you in for that? I've never been to the US before, and they paid me pretty well, so you know, I thought, Yeah, why not? Went over, met the guys, cool experience. I, did, I didn't take part in much of the writing of that material, but um, uh, me and Tom made one song together, like from scratch. I did some a couple of lyrics on the Siege Perilous album, but uh, me and Tom made a song for scratch for, uh, from, from scratch for uh, the Japanese bonus track. That was the first song we wrote together. We just wrote it in the studio with a, with a keyboard and a guitar. And uh, yeah, I mean, that whole thing was a really cool experience. And uh, we thought, hey, we've got to, looking to you know maybe trying to you know work out some more and the rest is history so that, that was your first trip to the u.s what were your first impressions of the u.s was it a big culture shock initially not really i mean you know that the, if there's one country that we get to see a lot on tv you know it's, it's <laughs> definitely the u.s so not really but uh i mean but it was really cool i love the u.s love the u.s so you ended up sharing a lot of the songwriting duties with thomas you know writing concept albums like the black halo inspired by mm-hmm. Faust and such. How far were they these concepts planned out? Because I know the Black Halo sort of continues from what was introduced in Epica. How mm-hmm. did that just fall, did that just happen that way or do you guys plan no, that this was out? planned. Mm. That was planned. Prior to uh recording Epica we had this plan for a double concept album. We we're looking for a concept and uh I found this book in my in my shelf. It was actually my my now wife's book uh, uh, about Faust. We tried to read the book. It's, re- it's a really hard book. To, to <laughs> and we read some summaries and we figured, you know, this is something that we can project onto our own lives and uh, and especially me as, as, as the lyricist, you know, I, I really felt that that was something that could very nicely uh, be used for, for a double concept album. But I mean, it's, this is just loosely based on, yeah. on that. That, that book some other things are are recognizable and uh, some things are you know really very personal when it comes to writing lyrics is it easier if it comes before or after the music I very seldomly write the, the the lyrics first very seldomly I'm not even sure I've ever written a song that actually or a lyric that actually became a song 
at least not you know entirely the way uh, of course I, I, I can take it in and swap sentences and, and words around and uh, mold it to fit fit a song but uh, I, I never it's, it's almost always the other way around so you joined the band and like you said initially that first album you didn't help with much of the material how do you kind of how do you wiggle your way in and then become one of the primary songwriters did thomas sort of notice that you had a knack for it yeah well, yeah i mean the, 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 the there were a couple of things that, that changed with uh, at, at that time and it was both me that came in casey was was a new drummer and uh sasha and Miro came in and keep uh, uh like Miro did a lot of the keyboards or orchestral arrangements on, on fourth legacy right Right. And Sasha is, is uh, a really, really good producer that, you know, he can help you let your imagination be, be the limitation. It went quite naturally. Both me and Tom figured, you know, the two of us were a really good team, you know, as to get a band up and go in. And uh, so, so many things that come into play when you want to build a band. Like, you know, there's songwriting, lyrics, image, all the business elements that... that that there needed luck, not the least, timing, so many things that need to fall in place at the right time. And I just want to, you know, to a lot of fans, Roy, you know, live performances are everything, and you're one of the vocalists that comes up a lot. You know, when people, mm-hmm. when metal fans get together, and I get to get together with my buddies, talk about best live vocalists. Is there anything special that you do in preparation, you know, maybe vocal exercises or anything like that to stay on top? Yeah, one thing that I've always do is I make sure that I'm like really hydrated so I'll, I'll I've taken that a little bit far a couple of times but I, I my, my favorite way of warming up is like like three four hours before the gig I'll, I'll just sit in the tub and just drink water and a couple of times I've drank so much water that, that I've gotten dizzy and and it wasn't until later that I found out that that's actually the first stage of your body shutting down like you know drinking a couple of gallons of, of water if you haven't eaten that's not really that's not really that can be dangerous i've toned that down a little bit <laughs> but making sure you're hydrated from within is, is very important i like to be warm in the whole body like right before i'll do some push-ups or just jog on the spot or um, a very common exercise for for singers is to like blow in a straw like into a, a bottle of water that really helps create this vacuum in your in your or not vacuum but pressure in your uh, this space where your, where your vocal cords are. So playing the clarinet yeah, is actually a very good way of warming up. Except you know everybody else is not necessarily sharing that, <laughs> that point of view, but because uh, <laughs> I'm really that good clarinet player. <laughs> hey, whatever it takes. <laughs> you know, Rory, it's no secret that you got burned out and you decided to step away in 2011. So just what was going on, if you don't mind just summarizing, was there just too much travel? Yeah, everything. Yeah. Everything. Too much travel, too much work. Uh, I had my first kids, got married, and uh, I was doing I was pretty much falling into every pit there was, you know, uh, doing what I did. I really found, and you know, this whole character that I was creating sort of was was very different from from the person that I was and wanted to be at home. So, and, and those two characters sort of like you know pulled farther and farther from each other, and that just that whole thing just tore me apart. I wasn't really present when I was at home either. I come back from a six week tour and just kick my shoes off and sit right down on the PC and work on something, and it was not good. So. And I got mentally sick, you know. That summer of 2010, I had like a period of five, six weeks where I literally did not sleep. Maybe like 
I mean, a little bit, of course, but there were so many nights that I did not sleep at all, just wandered around the house and worrying about everything and nothing. I know in retirement you joined a church and you began singing in the choir. And have you always been religious, or was that something that you saw after you kind of took a break? No, that was, that was. I mean, religious. Depends on how you, I mean, what you mean by religious, how you, you define that. But uh, I've always been, been occupied with big questions, also spiritual things. I mean, those kind of things have always fascinated me. But there were, there were uh, some really weird things that happened to me in connection with me being, you know, at my lowest low ever, you know, in 2010. You know, that really, I mean, obviously I was not, I was really mentally ill at that point. <clears throat> but, I mean, we experienced things, I mean, I experienced things that, that other people experienced together with me. And the timing of things were really awkward. I mean, whatever that was, it definitely made me completely change my mind on on the whole issue. Is there is there like a, is there a world? Is there something out there that we can't see that affects us? I, I'm positive about that. And I still have to sit down and pinch myself in the arm and, and, and just remind myself that that's, that that's, you know, the things that happened, happened. Uh, I mean, some of those things people surely will say are coincidence. Some will say that I uh, just imagined it. Some people will say that some people won't even believe. For me, it was very, very clear. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. That doesn't mean that that completely changed my life. I mean, it did, but but it's not like you know, not like I was a whole new being uh, all of a sudden. Uh, it's, it's I still have things that I struggle with. It's not like you know, you go from from being a arrogant, you know, sinful bastard to being a angel. It's a process, but I mean that all, all those things. You know, having those things in mind. For me, as is definitely gradually changing me in my approach to other people, life in general, and then how I look at the time that I have left on this on this planet. Well said, and this sort of leads perfectly into what I like to ask everybody. I was going to wait on it, but I'm just going to mm-hmm. go ahead and jump into it because you kind of already touched mm-hmm. on it. Have you ever had an experience that you would consider supernatural or paranormal or something that you couldn't explain? Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm the type of person. I'm mean, like before this, I was quite the opposite of, of what you would call a, a Christian or a believer of whatever you know faith. Some of the things that happen, not only to me but also together with others and to others around me, was like this. This whole spiritual thing was like bubbling around me at that point, and it was just it was just weird. And I had said before that you know there, there's for me to be a believer of any sort you know there has to be like you know a, a bloody you know heavy miracle and and there were some some pretty hefty stuff that that happened to us and some of it is not really that cool to talk about because it's linked to things that i don't really want to you know right. don't really really uh want to talk about but um yeah there were some really weird stuff that that happened that that i mean i would not have changed if that had not you know been the case just moving down the road you returned to music in 2018 i believe did you just start to feel the itch again and when you were joined rejoined uh, conception uh, we actually we actually uh, uh Torin and and uh Arvik, you know approached me and i think it was in 2015 ah. 2016 already with some songs that you know i went up to oslo to the tour um I uh, was there at a hotel, and I he called me and asked me to come up and listen to some stuff that I'd been working on, and uh, he played a couple of tracks, and I felt like, yeah, you know, yeah, maybe it's time to, you know, 
get back in the ring and <laughs> do this 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 thing that I'm used to be pretty good at. <laughs> I guess there was a certain itch, you know, but I I just really needed that break. There's I I've never regretted quitting Camelot, you know. I mean the um, I, I keep saying that Camelot was the best thing that ever happened to me, happened to me and, but quitting was also at that time at, at the stage I was personally it was also the best thing started talking about you know getting back together me and Tora and write some look at writing some new stuff and uh, and we did and, and wonderful songs came out of that and the ball just kept rolling until we decided to go ahead and produce a new record you know in 2018 or I mean 2017 I guess we started in 2017 so 2020 Roy the pandemic rolls around how did that affect what you had going on and how did you keep busy when things sort of shut down the, the timing was really bad for for conception that's for sure because we had just released uh, or we were going to release uh, state of deception right and we had this thing with with um, the, the first crowdfunding campaign that we did with, with pledge right was super successful and uh, spirits were high and you know things were going really well but when we were gonna have the money out the the thing went bankrupt you know they, they've been in business for like seven eight nine years a very uh, uh, good and ready-made company and I don't know what went wrong uh, I heard some rumors that somebody you know paid themselves more than they should have and maybe they spent too much money marketing or, or salaries to, to, to build the thing anyways uh, we only got about half of the money and we still had when you crowdfund right it's like people pay for a product that is not really there yet right so we still had the felt the obligation to fulfill our Agreement, so to speak, with people that have bought our record that have not been produced yet. So we had to take up a big loan again, like we did <laughs> when we did Last Sunset back in the day. We produced the, um, My Dark Symphony with that money. And then we had a new crowdfunding campaign, went really well too. And we were going to go out and tour in uh, 20, was that 2020. Mm-hmm. and release the record right and, and right when we release it and we're supposed to go out and promote the album the, the whole world shut, shuts down due to the pandemic so I mean we just we're like what the heck but you know that's that's it's, it's, it's really a good thing to see that we managed to get through that yeah I guess that proved something that we none of those two incidents broke our backs so since now things are kind of rolling again do you guys have plans to revamp the tour or head out on the road or anything like that during the pandemic, we didn't really, I mean, we've the business, like running your own record company is a lot of work. Maybe a little more, a little bit more than we thought to begin with. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's been a lot of, a lot of work. Not that we do everything ourselves, of course, but being just, you know, I mean, we do a lot on our own, but we also hire people in and, you know, but you, you, you really got to have your shit together you know to to do something like that and uh it takes a lot of effort a lot of money and a lot of energy and goodwill and all that but after a half year uh into the pandemic i i one thing that struck me was i was really like like being not having people around me was really bothering me you know after a while being being a musician at least in the constellation that we have here also with Camelot is, is a quite lonesome job, right? Because I'm here and Tori lives in Stockholm. The other guys live in a totally different place in Norway. So uh, uh, this friend of mine asked me if I could, you know, step in as a teacher. Uh, she knew that I'd been teaching 
few years back and then asked me if I could step in as a substitute at this school, like not too far from me. So I did that. I didn't really, I wasn't really looking forward to it. And, uh, but it was such, uh, it was such a joy just having all these kids and all these, these people around me again. Like I just felt my, my very being was, was, it, it was, it was, uh, I just, Asked them, you know, is there anything more I can do? And, and I've been there to up to up till last Friday. Now I'm not, but now everything is open again, you know. And uh, I'm going to concentrate more on, on music now. So I'm not going to start up again this autumn. You know, that's one of the things I've been busy with, along, you know, having a family, uh, you know, and, uh, and 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 all the work that comes along with running a running a band the way we do it. Were you teaching music, or were you just teaching general? Mainly music, yeah. Gotcha. Music and English and uh, science, actually. But you know, they 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 put me in whatever class between you know fourth grade and and uh, tenth grade. So, Roy, what is the best concert that you've seen as a fan? Yeah, that's also a difficult one. I really have a hard time grading, you know, those art experiences. But um, I remember when we 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 opened up for uh, Metallica back in. must have been 2008, 2009 in Holland. A Slipknot played after us, and uh, our sound engineer or the promoter uh, took us up in the tower, you know, where the, where the soundboard is. Yeah. And I got to see uh, Slipknot from, from there. That was a really cool experience. I, I can have uh, out of body experiences uh, in a tiny jazz club for that matter. It's like, you know. Yeah, uh, well, since you since you mentioned that, sorry to interrupt you, but you know, I get in this conversation with European fans and American fans. You know, you may have a European band that plays at Wacken and playing in front of you know thousands of people, but the same band will come to the United States and you know maybe play a a bar that maybe has a thousand or two thousand people. I I prefer the I prefer the more intimate bar experience. Do, as a performer, do you have a preference? I definitely prefer the the like there's nothing like a small tight sweaty club gig (laughs) that's that's probably my favorite like really i don't know what it is but that's that's something special i guess it has to do with like you know when you when you play at least when you play these big festivals uh uh, the the crowd just becomes this this um, homogenous you know mass and and the distance of course uh is also there but uh yeah, I guess I guess you connect better. I do, anyways, with with people at, at you know club gigs. Out of your entire career, you know, conception or Camelot, what have you, what would you say is the most challenging single project that you've worked on? Is there one you lost sleep over, be it an album or a specific song or whatever? I was having a hard time with with poetry for the poison, but not really. But that that, that has to do with you know that that was our seventh album, I think, and I was just getting so but that that. That also had to do with me being worn out and, and mentally not really there. Because I was starting to feel that, you know, I, I while I was, you know, working on, on um, The Great Pandemonium, I just had this very strong feeling that this would be my last album. Yeah, I, I just had a hard time with myself at that point. There's two things that, that make this, this job great, in my opinion. That is the, the creative process like writing the, making the music and, and recording it too. I love being in the studio and presenting the stuff live, you know, in front of an audience. So I, I generally love being in the studio and, and working on 
new music. Well, Roy, I'm not going to keep you all afternoon here, so I guess just to put a bow on the interview and everything, what's on the horizon for you that you can share? Oh, right now we're, we're I mean, there's, there's quite a few things. One of the reasons I'm not teaching anymore, like, one of the reasons I quit now is I really want to get that that solo thing going. Like I was sure that I was gonna, you know, go ahead and do that when the pandemic started. But then again, I just did not have the. I just couldn't sit here alone, like you know, and, and work on a solo project. You know, when you feel the need to to see people in in the flesh, like already, you know that that was not an option. So um, that's something that that hindered me from that. So that's one thing. There's uh, conception, of course, uh, live stuff, new writing sessions, and uh, a lot of things, really. Yeah, I'm going to spend more time with my family. The thing is, the, the, the last year has been so busy that, you know, I, I felt that, you know, like when, when you have a lot of work to do, it's very easy to make family. That's the, the one thing that you can postpone, you know, like you can, which is not really good. I want to, you know, be there for my kids and help them with school, and I want to do things at home with the house and, just be uh, dad you know <laughs> want to work out I wanna, yeah yeah i want to just have a less busy life you know and i want to do some new stuff i hope that happens for you <laughs> <laughs> thank you sir it's been a pleasure to get a chat with you man i'll uh once i get this posted okay. i'll send it down to oh. you you have a good rest of your day thank sir thank you you too thanks bye-bye. bye-bye all right folks that's a wrap i hope you enjoyed that chat with roy as always thanks for listening And we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. (laughs) Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.